Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Lachlan Wilmot. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So Lachlan Wilmot, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast, mate. It's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Thank you very much, mate. Appreciate it for having me. That's my pleasure. So can you give us a quick, short, sharp introduction as to who you are and uh, what you've done until now? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Lachlan Wilmot, uh, based here in Sydney, Australia. I uh, currently am the co-director of a facility called Athletes Authority, which is a, a private facility for uh, athletes only, whether that be development athletes or uh, amateur and pro. Uh, my background is uh, I was originally a, a personal trainer back in the day, so I came out of the fitness first ranks, um, worked in, in the AFL with the GWS Giants for, for eight years there, um, as the, uh, the, the title was a bit long, but effectively I was a strength and power coach, um, and then I moved over the dark side of the uh, the NRL or the Australian Rugby League um, with the Parramatta Eels, where I was head of performance there for for a couple of years before um, before making the transition into to the private sector with uh, with my current facility sort of expanding at a at a rate that I I didn't plan on, but uh, nonetheless has been very good. So I've jumped on board uh, with my co-owner Carl, and uh, away we go, and here we are. Mate, fantastic! And hey, uh, growth is never a bad thing, right? So. Uh... Can't complain. Certainly if, isn't if the money's rolling in. No, nah, it's been going well. So it's uh, but with uh, with more size, more money comes more problems, as the song says, mate. So it's uh, <laughs> there's always things going on. <laughs> mate, I can understand. I can understand. But hey, we're we're here to discuss individualization and team versus private setting. So your your background leads perfectly into that. Um, can you give us Fantastic. a quick a quick rundown of uh, why individualization is important? Yeah. So. I'm probably going to go the other way because when I saw that question, I thought, well, this would be a good one because I um, I probably think individualization is probably a little bit uh, over-dramatized um, and I certainly think people sometimes individualize for the sake of individualization. Um, I think there's there's sort of two main areas, especially in a private setting where you can individualize is one, um, they're different sports. So lo and behold, obviously, you're going to have individual programs based with different sports, um, but also around injury history and age. So they're probably your three big ones that are going to change it. Now, when I was uh, in the AFL, um, you know, working with a very homogenous group in the fact that they all play the same sport, um, they all were close in age. Um, we had a, a fairly young team at the time that then started to to spread its age a little bit towards the end. But initially, we had a, a whole heap of 18 to sort of 23-year-olds. Um, so nonetheless, a very, fairly homogenous group. So within that group, you, your individualizations came more around, as I just said, injury history. Um, 
um, but then starting to look at some positional variations. But with all, all due respect, I, I think the individualization side of things is something that, that people probably get so caught up on um, feeling they need to individualize too much. And I think you start to lose the ability to, to coach a group and to really apply your, your best type of program when you're trying to make every single exercise different. And um, what I've probably found team sports in a professional standpoint is you know, most of the team, their key lifts are going to be very similar. You know, if, if they're all in the same block, so for example, it might be the, the last block before an in-season starts, um, you, you're going to start to see that realistically, they're going to have a, a very similar style program building up to the, the start of competition. Um, and you're also then going to start to see the, the individualizations are really only around players' injury histories, whether they've you know, they've previously had hip complaints or, or um, groin or knee or anything like that, where you start to individualize more of those secondary or supplementary exercises. Um, and when it comes to the private sector, I've sort of tried to have the same philosophy. I've got um, a number of athletes from a number of different sports. But realistically, if you've got a, an AFL player, a soccer a player, a rugby league player, you know, here in Australia, most of their seasons all line up. So, so lo and behold, they actually have very similar seasonal blocks. So, so they're all going into season at the same time. Um, their, their, their pre-seasons are all at the same time. So some of their big key lifts actually look very similar because they're all field sport athletes. They all need to run. It's all a, a basis of their, their, uh, their sport. But then you get down to the nitty-gritty of, well, what does a soccer player need to do in regards to a rugby league player? There, there's probably some subtle... Um, change of direction things when we're looking in the gym. No doubt conditioning is a big difference um, and that would probably be the the most individual part that I tend to look at when it comes to positional and, and differing sports. What what are their energy system requirements? But when it comes to strength development, as I said, if if they're all if they're on a field, they need to change direction, it's a 360-degree type game, um, you're probably going to see fairly similar exercise selection from me um, with obviously the, the supplementaries or the accessories that adjusted based on a lot of injury history or, or positional needs and that makes a lot of sense right because producing force is producing force and how you do it is uh yeah almost uh, it is and sometimes. it's a funny it's a conversation i tend to have you you probably get two different types of athletes you get you get one type of uh, athlete that hates uh, doing the same program as the person next to them because they're they're missed individual or misses individual. They think that everything's you know meant to be completely separate for them. And then you got the other type of individual that hates doing things that are different to the group. Yeah, you know, he just wants to do a deadlift or just wants to do chin ups. You know, hates being left out. Um, so you've got to be able to understand your athletes and know how to to please them. And I know which athletes love doing you know programs that are the same as as their training partners that might be in the gym. But I've also I also know which athletes like to feel special and different exercises so that's where you know with the with the supplementary exercise those secondary and accessory ones that you can be a little bit more creative with those athletes that want to feel like they're a bit different because you can you can yeah there's a thousand ways to skin a cat so you can still get the same outcome from a couple of different options uh, but when it comes to key lifts I'm a big believer in you know when someone's training together and they're training the gym I love the energy of everyone being pretty similar across their their key lifts so if you know if we're all trap bar deadlifting or we're all box squatting or we're all doing step ups I love that the energy and the feel and the camaraderie that that brings now there's always going to be exceptions that doesn't mean everyone in the gym can do it especially in the the private setting where there are numbers of different seasons and uh, sports and commitments but I, I certainly do my best to try and line them up where 
I can because I just think the the energy of the session is is so governed by what the athletes are doing. When when you've got fifteen athletes in a gym and everyone is on a completely different program, it it absolutely kills the energy in my opinion. So um, I really like I really like that um, I suppose key lift similarity with using the accessories and supplementary options as as ones where we try and be a bit different. Mate, that's absolutely absolutely fantastic. So, how does how does that differ from uh, the team and private setting in terms of the limiting factors, right? So, if you wanted to individualize in a team setting, how how is that then uh, limited as such? Yeah, I think um, if we're talking from a, a professional team setting, the the limiting factor with individualization of programs is is probably not a lot to limit you when you have a good department and you're keeping your um, your group to, a, I suppose, a coachable number. Um, when I say professional team setting, I'm saying that from a worldwide standpoint, we all know that there's some professional clubs that still roll a heap of players through with one or two strength conditioning coaches. And at the end of the day, it does become too hard. You look at like a college setting where, you know, <clears throat> some of those Division One SEC schools that, yeah, they've got some absolute superstar athletes in there. They're technically not professional, but, geez, they train like it. They they have to manage a lot of athletes with probably a minimal amount of staff when compared to, say, a, a smaller setup that's still professional um, that has a higher number of staff. So with that, it comes back to that flow of, of, uh, of the program and, and everything like that. And I truly believe that you can you can certainly ruin your program by trying to individualize too much when your facility doesn't allow it and your staffing doesn't allow it. Because for every individualization you make, you need to make sure the facility can handle it, whether that be the number of equipment and the pieces in it. But you also need to understand that you have to have the staff to do it as well. So when I was at the Giants, our two uh, sort of our three big individualized groups were effectively our first years. So those young young guys coming through, their programs were very different. Um, our rehab group, obviously based off injuries that were, were current or past, were obviously a large individualization. And then we had our, our performance group, which arguably were our senior players that were also fresh and ready to go. Now, you, the old adage of, you know, the squeaky wheel gets all the oil is um, is certainly true when it comes to that team area because when I was when it was a younger organization and I was the only SSC coach on the floor, I'm obviously worrying making sure the first years are doing the right thing so they're not killing themselves. And then you've got the rehab making sure they're doing the right things because you don't want to exacerbate the injury. So by this just sheer lack or sort of setup, the the advanced lifters that were actually injury-free and performing on the field, they probably didn't get as much attention because you're sort of like, oh, no, well, they know what they're doing and they're injury-free. So the the spin of that had to be, well, these are actually the ones that are on the field every day that are going to win us the game. So we actually need to give them more energy because they need to find that extra 1% or 2%. So that was a sort of the driving force. And, and when you know, the department started to expand and we, we got more money and, and started to build a more professional organization, that was sort of the justification for bringing on different staff members in, in the department around, well, we need someone who can manage our younger guys, someone who can manage our rehab so they can have some energy because then that leaves me to give my energy to those guys that are doing the more advanced lifting and are fresh and can actually find those little performance gains. So um, I think the, the only limiting factor in a, in a team or professional setting is, is just the management of time when you're on the floor um, and making sure that you're giving your energy to, to the people that need it the most and making sure it's distributed well. But when it comes to, to the actual programming side of it, I truly believe there's no real limit. It's only your imagination. But I'd also challenge that you probably don't need to individualize as much as everyone probably thinks you do, especially when you're working with, as I just said, that group that are injury-free 
and on the field every day, and they're all playing the same sport, their, their programs are going to look somewhat similar. Um, it's going to be just those uh, the icing on the cake, I suppose, that's going to be slightly different for them. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. Hey, absolutely fantastic. So how do those things differ from uh, a private sector where you've got those athletes who maybe they're paying extra for that individual attention? Do you still give them then, for example, a more general program with icing on the cake or do you sell it in a different way? How does that look? Yeah, it's it's a system that of of uh, I suppose over my years in the pro sector, I developed my sort of programming system and what I believe to be the most efficient way um, to to implement my programming. And obviously, moving into the private sector, that's something that I've I've brought to my facility and said this is this is what I've worked with and this is what I know that works. Now, how can I apply this to a private setting? Because at the end of the day, um, if anyone's running a private setting, they know that if you can't scale things. Um, then you're, you're not going to be doing a very good business moving forward because I, I certainly can't have every athlete coming to my facility expecting to be coached one-on-one and programmed one-on-one by me. It's a really poor business model if that's what I'm rolling with because I've only got you know, a finite amount of time. So the key is to try and develop that system that when someone comes to Athletes Authority, they know they're going to get the programming structure, the coaching and the deliverables based off the title Athletes Authority, not off my name, but off the facility name. So the key, the first big thing we had to do was develop a system that was going to flow like that. Um, so the way we've set it up is effectively we we group our, our setup into five groupings. Um, we have our field-based athletes, so any athlete that, that take, partakes in a sport on a field, um, whether that be rugby league, rugby union, AFL, soccer, or over to, say, cricket, baseball, and all those type of things. They're producing force on a field. We then have our court-based um, athletes, which are like our tennis, our badminton, our basketball, and those type of things. We then have our track so that, obviously, as it sounds, is all of our sort of track and field athletes that partake in those track sports. We then roll into our water, ice, and snow. Um, so those are all our athletes that don't really produce force into the ground as a normal athlete would. These are people that are producing force you know, within water, um, on skis, on ice skates, things that are slightly um, out, outside the box. Um, and then we have our com- combative group. Um, and our combative group work, uh, obviously, around from kicking, punching, all those type of things. So any sport that revolves around weight classes and actually competing one-on-one in a, in a combative thing will fall under that. Um, our final group that sits amongst all that is just our LTAD. So that's probably a, another story for another day. Um, <clears throat> but with, within those groups, I will write the what we call the base programs for all of those groups. So I don't think of a particular athlete. I think of the sport and what season they're in, and that's what governs the, the program I write. That program then gets filtered down to all of our coaches. So all of our coaches manage our individual athletes. Um, and then I have my individual athletes that I manage as well. Um, and from the base programs, we then start to layer it. So the first phase is what level. So we have a 10-phase plyometric continuum where every athlete fits into whether they're a level 1 or a level 10. Um, so that then our velocity blocks, all our plyometrics, get adjusted to suit the level that the athlete's at. 
the next phase is then what are the extensions on the program? What I mean by extensions, I mean that if you're a cricketer, then you will have rotational extensions. You will have um, overhead extensions and some throwing extensions. So these are where the individual coach will modify the program to account for those individual patterns within the specific sport that may be on top of the base program. From that, we then have our resilience, where our coaches will then individualize the resilience blocks, which are those ones, whether it be an injury history to the individual athlete or an injury that is more likely in that sport that they're playing. Um, And from that, it sort of builds out, as you can imagine, you've taken the base program. Once you've made those three big individualizations based around the athlete and the sport, suddenly the program does look different to everyone else's, um, but still keeps the key lifts. So within the program structure, I've identified the the lifts um, and the order that that can be edited by my coaches and my physios as well. So they know which lifts are the accessory ones and can be removed and replaced. And they know which are the key lifts that um, that I want to see done by a majority of athletes in the gym. Now, there's always going to be exceptions, but um, you know when we walk in, if it's a Monday and and we're, we're into our A1, our A1 key lift. You know, we, we want to try and see as many of the athletes lifting a similar key lift working together. Um, and that's, that's, to be honest, probably what builds such a, a good energy in our facility that um, we have tennis players encouraging rugby players that are encouraging track and field athletes all yelling at each other, getting excited with each other when they hit new PBs and everything like that um, because they can relate. They have certain key lifts that they all can relate to, but then they all – go off and they've got their accessories or their supplementary lifts that are individual to them and, and their sport um, more so than, say, say the key lifts. So um, it is a fine balance. And as I said before, you, you've just got to educate your athletes. And, and it's taken a while, you know, me coming in, um, educating them how I program and why they get programmed like they do. Why, why is the person next to me doing the same key lift? You know, and it's a very easy explanation. It's at the end of the day, I'm trying to improve. You know, it, it might not be the sport as a whole. I'm trying to improve, say, force output into the ground and it's in in the pre-season block um, and this is what I believe is the best exercise to do it and so if I give you a different exercise I'm actually doing you a disservice I'm I'm just changing it for the sake of changing it when I know that exercise isn't as effective as this one so yeah that's where I sort of get them on side and say you obviously want me to give you the most effective exercise don't you so whether that's uh, the same exercise the person next to you or not I'm going to give you what I believe is the most effective exercise for the outcome that, that you want um, and, and to be honest, mate, it doesn't take much to sell. They, they sort of start to get the idea pretty well, and and they also start to to see the results. You know, it takes them a couple of weeks to start to see their numbers go up. They feel stronger. They they have their individualizations as well as those key lists that are more similar, and then you sort of just breed success from that. I imagine the results uh, make it a lot easier to sell, right? So of course, of course, as of soon course. as they, <laughs> as soon as you start getting some PVs, then uh, then it makes it all worthwhile. But um, exactly. Before exactly. before we run out of time. Uh, I want to move on to like the one thing which you do differently or the one thing that you see differently to the rest of the world. So what what can you give us as like a big uh, Lachlan Wilmot piece of information which no one else can? Um, it's a tough one, mate. I, I, saw, I, I sort of didn't know how to answer because I, I certainly don't think I see anything so differently to everyone else in the world. I think um, the, probably the one thing that I, I hammer on about – 
um, to my interns, to my assistant coaches, to anyone that wants to listen is the the applicability of systems over methods and just this, uh, uh, I suppose, innate desire for people wanting to to take, you know, and back in the day it was kettlebells. When kettlebells started to become popular, people were these people that were just kettlebell guys, people that then didn't believe in kettlebells. And I just feel like people swing the pendulum so far left and right and you know, suddenly Nordics became big and then people hated Nordics and then people loved Nordics and it's this pendulum just keeps swinging left and right and that's probably the one thing I do look at the industry and go I don't understand how people can hate something or love something you know I have things that I think are really good don't get me wrong but there's there's no one thing that I'd hang my hat on ever so for me I think um, for any coach out there it's the, the best coaches I've seen in, in, in our industry are those ones that that are very very systematic in what they do they understand the outcomes they want and they will use any method that they need to get that outcome. And I think the more you can be like that, the more you can get much more value out of every other coach, whether it be a sporting coach, a strength conditioning coach, you know, anyone from any different environment, because there's so many methods out there that, you know, that you can steal and claim and put into your programs and fit into your system. So um, the biggest thing that I do with my interns and my assistant coaches is, is drill them on working out who they want to be as a coach, how do the athletes interpret them as a coach, what their system's going to be. Because then it doesn't matter who has a method. It doesn't matter what new method comes up, what old method is used. It's it's easy to implement because you just bring it under the banner of your own system. So um, I think you know, hopefully that gives you a little bit of an answer. But I just feel that, that coaches, especially young coaches, these pendulums get swung so much. You love or hate something. And people just miss out on so much quality stuff that they can be putting in their programs all because they feel like if they're a kettlebell person their whole program has to be kettlebell stuff it's and it's absolute insanity to me (laughs) (laughs) mate that's a fantastic piece of advice and i I completely agree i think the being adaptable um to the person in front of you is probably one of the most uh, important things we can do and therefore having all Mm. of the the possibilities to do that uh means that maybe you do have to sometimes just get a bell maybe it's a dumbbell maybe it's a barbell it doesn't really matter as long as the person in front of you wins um or gets better and that's the same as, you know, velocity people are like, oh, do you use velocity-based training? It's like, yeah, I do. And then they go, well, how do you use it with all that? Like, well, no, I don't use it then. They're like, oh, but you just said you used it. Like, I do when I need it. I mean, yeah. like, not all my athletes use it and they don't use it all year round. Like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's there. We have the capacity to do it. So in some programs with some exercises, with some athletes, they'll use it. But there's athletes in my gym that have never used it. It's just as simple as that. It's a, it's a it's a method and a tool. So, but people are like, oh yeah, if you use VBT, you must use it all the time with everything. So not at all, because that would be insanity. I don't know how I could program like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's got the time to do that as well? Even if you're working one on one with someone, no one no one gets your aqua bag out for, yeah, yeah, for your yeah. accessory lift and uh, puts a puts a push uh, band on or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Mate, exactly, um, exactly no. before before we uh, descend into complete anarchy, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Could you give us a, a quick 30-second summary of what we discussed today? Yeah, easy. I think um, <clears throat> the concept of individualization is one that people often get nervous and feel they need to individualize. Um, and I think you've just got to got to learn that when, when an individualization occurs, it's because it's an absolute must, not because you feel the need to make something different for the sake of it. Um, and I also believe that that over-individualization of programs, especially in team environments, as well as group environments, makes the energy, the flow of your program worse. And I don't think you're going to get the best results. So um, I think the, the best thing we can do is challenge coaches and especially young coaches 
merges coming up that uh, there are some really good options to use across multiple sports that get the same outcome. Um, and I'll challenge you to, to only modify or, or uh, individualize when it's going to make that program better for that individual, not just for the sake of individualization. Mate, absolutely fantastic. Lock Lamour, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Great shout out, Matt. Thanks for the time, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Lachlan for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Science of Sport Coaches Academy. Now, today, Lachlan's discussed how you can individualize in both team and private settings. Of course, in a Coaches Academy, you have seven different areas of practical insight, and they are injury prevention and rehab, career development, nutrition, mindset and health, recovery, testing, and performance so if you're interested in performance based on what Lachlan has said today make sure that you get yourself over to the coaches academy and you can get seven free days using the link in the show notes so all you have to do in just a few seconds time is click that link and get seven days worth of free information and that's it once again a massive thanks from me I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week